So I, I don't have an update, but did you want to come up and give an update? <laughs> and she's shaking her head no. So she will, she will, after I say amen and we, and we stop Facebook Live, then she can stand up and share an update. I don't have an update, so um, we'll go from there. Uh, we are in Ze- Zechariah chapter 11. The further I go in the book of Zechariah, and to be up front, I don't study ahead. I mean, I've read Zechariah multiple times and as I read through the Bible, but I'm not specifically studying ahead. It's enough for me to study and stay on pace and consume and let God speak to me throughout the week of the chapter we're on. So, But as I go through this journey myself, I find more uh, each chapter to become more and more intriguing. So... Personally, I look forward to chapters 12, 13, and 14 uh, to see what God has to say next. But today we're on Zechariah chapter 11. And, and I believe really, a really good word that God has through this passage for where we sit today. And while speaking to Zechariah and speaking to the people of Judah and what would come in their future, uh, certainly um, has very firm words for us today as well. So let's read those verses together, uh, understand what Zechariah is saying, and the words will be behind me on the screen. Zechariah chapter 11, starting at the first verse. Open your doors, O Lebanon, so that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O pine tree, for the cedar has fallen. The stately trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, the dense forest has been cut down. Listen to the wail of the shepherds. Their rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them, for I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will hand everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will oppress the land, and I will not rescue them from their hands. So I pastured the flock, marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs, and the one called Favor, and the other Union, and I pastured the flock. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called Favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if, you, if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hoofs. And woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye right eye totally blinded let's pray together heavenly father we continue to walk through the word of zechariah and the prophecy that you have poured into him to share 
We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example that is set before us today in his shepherding. May we learn from this and grow from this and understand where we're at. Make decisions in our own life of who is our true shepherd. May we find ourselves following you by the enriching of your word this morning. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Holy Spirit that speaks to our souls. May you continue to do so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get into Zechariah chapter 11, the first six verses is where God's revealing to Zechariah the upcoming future of Judah, of Jerusalem, of the land of Israel. And so as you go through there, we have all kinds of images that are given to us of fire devouring your cedars. Uh, open your doors and the fire devouring your cedars. Uh, the pine tree, the cedars fallen, the stately trees ruined, uh, the oaks of Bashan. Everything's just destruction as we go through the first six verses. Um, and specifically, the first three verses are in regards to Jerusalem and the temple that would collapse. And so if you're looking and reading through those verses and you're saying, what in the world is Zechariah talking about? He's looking forward and God's prophesying that there is a day that is coming that everything that they hold of value in this place of worship that they would go to, this temple where the sacrifices would happen, this is going to be destroyed. This is going to be burnt down. Um, And even as I started to read this and I read just the first three words of a verse uh, chapter 11, open your doors. Immediately, I, I went back to uh, Psalm 24, where God's word says, lift up your, your gates, you everlasting doors, so that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord, strong and mighty. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and even beat ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. And, and there's a reference to the temple and them opening those big doors of the temple and going in and worshiping God and praising God in that place that was the central figure of their worship. And here we have these words, the cedars. You read about the building of the temple and the beautiful cedar boards that they, they coated the walls with and, and everything that was about the temple would just be burned up, devoured, destroyed. And even Jesus himself looked at the temple and said, not, not a stone would be left. I mean, they would all be torn down. And so looking forward through history, 500 years later, we get to that point where Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 A.D. and the temple is destroyed. So that's going really through those first three verses. But as we continue to pour through in verses 3 through 6, we get further prophetic words of the destruction that would come to them and pointing forward to 70 A.D., uh, where Jerusalem would fall. And so the way of life that they had, everything that they enjoyed, um, every aspect of life would be destroyed. And, and their life did revolve around temple worship and going there and the sacrifice is, sacrifices and everything about that. And so the shepherds that, that are referred to, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the people that were leading the people would lead them astray and continue to push them away from the salvation that would come from Jesus Christ. And as they would be led astray by these false shepherds, they would end up in this massive mess of destruction and everything that they count of worthy and value would be wiped out. And so we get through those first six verses with all of this destruction that would, would happen on them. And God's bringing them to a place where they have the option of looking to Jesus Christ, looking to the true shepherd as their Lord and Savior, or wander aimlessly. 
And he really gets them to that point. And that's with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and, and all of the temple worship, as that was all brought to an end, we end up with two decisions. One is either turn to Jesus Christ and trust in the blood that was shed on the cross for sins, trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or wander aimlessly and seek after every other desire that they could seek after. And God's bringing them to that point. And so to illustrate the voice of God, to illustrate the voice of God, God says to Zechariah in verse 4, he tells him to go pasture the flock marked for slaughter. So he's telling him, I want you to go and be a shepherd. And so as we get through the last verses from 7 to 17, we get a little bit of an imagery of Zechariah actually going out and being a shepherd and illustrating for us of what God wants to do in the people of Judah in their lives, and then we can take that and understand it for ourselves. So I'm trying to get us up to that point of understanding in verses 1 through 6. We have this destruction of Jerusalem, and in verses 4 through 6, we get that push to Zechariah to say, go be a shepherd. Go illustrate to the people what is going to happen by being a shepherd. And his way of shepherding, Zechariah's way of shepherding, his actions, the things that he does, the things that he says, the breaking of the staffs, and all of those things that we walk through become an illustration of what would happen in Judah's future and going towards the destruction of Jerusalem. And as we can take those things as well and hopefully apply them to our own lives and understand how Jesus Christ fulfilled some of the prophecies that we are seeing in this passage of Scripture. And so it becomes this lesson for us today, and hopefully we can look at Zechariah and his shepherding and understand something for us as well. And so to start off and jumping in at verse 7, to start off, I want to talk about the shepherd that is realized. If we can't get the first section of verses, then I will say we are lost. And we need to get to that point of understanding that we have a shepherd that is realized. If, if I was watching this as a movie drama, this is a point in the movie where we have the character in the movie that was beaten up, that was kicked, that nobody liked, nobody sat with him at the lunchroom. He, he would be considered the outcast, the underdog. He tried out for the basketball team. They cut him. They, nobody, nobody wanted him. And all the kids are getting ready to beat him up after school again. And some big guy steps in with a big stick and says, he's mine. Leave him alone. That, that's the kind of, you know, that, that, that moment in the movie where you're like, yes, somebody's finally standing up for the underdog, for the, for the outcast, for the one that nobody wants. And this is where we get in our story of having a shepherd who is realized. The people were. They, they were beat down. They were oppressed. They weren't taken care of. The leaders of the day, spiritual leaders, political leaders, Every leader you can think of was abusing them, pushing them down, oppressing them, not taking care of them. And you have this huge underdog. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shows up on this scene. And he's the guy carrying the big stick, the cross. And he steps into the scene and he says, I'll take care of him. And, and we have that kind of a good shepherd. And so we have Zechariah stepping in to be a shepherd, uh, starting in verse 7. So I pastured the flock. Zechariah says, I went out and I, I was a shepherd. And I went out and I pastured the flock, the ones that were marked for slaughter, the ones that nobody liked, the people that were the outcast. 
And he takes two staffs with him called favor and union to shepherd the flock. And he gets rid of the shepherds that aren't there. And again, pointing forward to Jesus Christ, where with our shepherd realized, he looks out after the, the oppressed. He, he looks out to make sure they're taken care of correctly. He, he bestows favor on them. He brings unity to them. And he gets rid of all the shepherds that were destroying them. And so I want to move forward, jump forward from Zechariah 500 plus years and get to the point of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in Matthew 9, 36, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, did he say, eh, let them go fend for themselves? No, he didn't. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus is going through his ministry, and he is having compassion on the people that are around him because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless. They were harassed. In John 10:11, Jesus takes this further. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You have the image now of Jesus Christ describing himself as the good shepherd. He describes himself as looking out over the people who are around him, who are helpless and needed, needed compassion, and he had compassion and love for them. And here's the illustration we have from Zechariah being a shepherd, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, fulfilling the role of the good shepherd. I want to move forward and talk about the staff that's called favor. And Jesus continues in John chapter 10 talking about the shepherd who runs away when the wolf comes. That's the bad shepherd. When the wolf comes, when destruction comes, when problem comes, the, the bad shepherd says, figure it out on your own. You're on your own. You're sick? Too bad. You have financial problems? Stings to be you. Oh, your car broke down? Tough luck. Oh, you're being evicted from your house? I guess you'll have to go find a new one. There's the bad, there's the, there's the wolf. There, there's the, the, the destroyer. Oh, you were partying too much, drinking all that alcohol, having fun, doing all of the drugs. And, oh, what a wonderful time it was. Oh, now you're addicted? Ah, go figure it out. Oh, you got caught doing something illegal? Well, have fun in jail. There's the bad shepherd. The good shepherd state steps in and says, I want to take care of you. I want to rescue you. I want to help you. I want to pour favor into your life. I want to pour good things into your life. I want to pour the graces of God into your life. And John chapter 10 gives us that illustration where Jesus, again, later in John chapter 10, says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The wolf runs away. The good shepherd steps in the gap and says, I'll rescue you out of your sin. I'll rescue you out of your, out of your destruction. I'll rescue you out of everything bad that is occurring. And I'll rescue you by bringing you salvation and then starting to lift you out of the troubles and the trials and the problems. Are you sick? I'm here to pour favor in your life. Are you struggling financially? I want to bless you and I want to keep you and provide for you and surround you with people who love you and care about you and take care of you. God pours these favors into our lives. And that's the staff called favor that we have. And it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus even says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We know that sin has no dominion over us because of the favor of God. We know that everything good He allows to flow into our life. You know, Scripture says that, that everything that is good for us, that God allows to flow in our lives. I like the fact that I have a filter. I like the fact that I have a filter. The favor of God, when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the favor of God says there's a filter 
And everything bad doesn't come my way, and only the things that are good are going to come my way. And now I can define good in a lot of different ways, but it's not always the way that God defines them. And God says, nope, if you're sick, Ralph, if you have a sore back, it's because I'm allowing good to come in your life. If you have financial concerns for your future, I'm allowing good to come into your life. And God's putting good there with a filter, the good filter of His favor and only allowing the things in our life that are going to grow us, mature us, and to turn us into the people that He wants us to be. I want to go off on a tangent real quick. I was listening to somebody the other day, and I want to share this. And it talked about Christianity as a lifestyle. And, and I have to agree with them. Do you know Christianity is not a lifestyle? Christianity is not a lifestyle. Christianity is a transformation. It's a change. The old self is gone, and the new self has come. That's Christianity. That, that's understanding that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and He starts to change us from the inside out. Because if I'm trying to change things from the outside in, and it's just a lifestyle, a way that I'm trying to live, there's no transformation. There's no change in my heart. There's no change in my heart while I will have compassion in the way that Jesus would have compassion. And the favor of God with His filter of goodness, where no good comes into our lives, and where God says everything good for us, He allows to flow into our lives, is because of the favor of God, and is because He's transforming us. And so whatever befalls us, it's transforming us and changing us to be like God. And that's the favor that He passes on to us. There's also the staff of union. And how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And let's flip the coin over. How, how awful and miserable and detestable it is when we can't live in unity. And I'm not saying agreement on every little issue. I'm not saying agreement on color of chairs and color of paint and, and Ford and Chevy and Dodge and whatever else. It's a Toyota. I'm talking about living in unity that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That He, that he came born of a virgin died on the cross, forgave us of our sins, rose from the grave, that we understand the basic gospel and we can live in unity as brothers and sisters without bickering, without fighting, without destruction, without tearing the church down, but building the church up. And God brought that unity through Jesus Christ. Our shepherd, Jesus Christ, gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, so we can be built up in the church in unity. We're told when, with this we reach maturity and attain to the whole measure of God. And our good shepherd realized he closed the divide between man and God. And we're going to talk about the, the staff of unity. Where would we be without a relationship with God? Where would we be? And except for the grace of God, where would we be? And there's the beautiful unity that our good shepherd brings. And this is how Zechariah is pastoring the flock. He's out there as a real, pa a real shepherd pastoring a real flock. Of sheep that nobody else wanted. And God says, I will come and I will love the unloved. I will come and I will find the lost and I will bring them home. And it's the good shepherd realized that is there for us. I want to jump into the next verses and move on from the shepherd realized because this is where it gets troublesome. And it's where the shepherd is rejected. Picking up in the middle, in the middle of verse 8, the flock detested me. And it's no pretty sight. And the verses continue to talk about how Jesus Christ was rejected. And Zechariah, as a shepherd, was rejected and points forward to how Jesus was rejected. And we read about the 30 pieces of silver. 
And if we jump forward and you know that Judas betrayed Jesus with 30 pieces of silver. And later, he, later he realized, oh, this is not what I should have done. And he went and he cast the 30 pieces of silver back at the religious leaders of the day, back into the temple, and cast it back at them. And they turned around and they bought a field with it. And that field was known as Potter's Field. Quite fascinating. Coincidence? Uh, you decide. But here we have in Zechariah talking about the day would come when Jesus would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, cast back to the religious leaders of the day, and they would turn around and say, we can't take blood money, go buy a field with it to, to bury people that don't have a place to be buried, and they call that field Potter's Field. And so here we have Jesus being betrayed for a cheap price. And it was a cheap price to be paid for a very costly sacrifice. And all of it is wrapped up in the shepherd's rejection, where they did not want that shepherd leading them. John chapter 12, verse 13, the people are crying out to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They were taking palm branches and they were waving, waving palm branches and praising him. Here comes our King. Here comes the one that we want. Here comes the shepherd that's going to lead us. Here's the one that is glorious and going to be all over us. And we see all of that in John chapter 12 as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they're just praising him and lifting him up and glorifying him. And then we jump forward a couple of days and we find a whole different response in John chapter 19, verse 15 where they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. What a turn. What a turn. How quickly did they turn from one day praising God and lifting him up and praising Jesus and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he in the name of the Lord, and jump forward a couple of days, get rid of him, crucify him. Get rid of him, crucify him. He becomes the shepherd, rejected. And as just as Zechariah was rejected as a shepherd, so does Jesus become the shepherd, Rejected. I don't want to play around. How often do we reject the shepherd in our own lives? Do we reject the shepherd in our own lives? Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And we reject him and we move on with our day. When the shepherd says to us to be holy because he is holy, we reject him and we move on living the way we want to live. When the shepherd says to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. I don't want those things. And so we reject them and we move on. When the shepherd is at the door handing out freebies and favor, we run to the door to get them. But when the shepherd is there bringing discipline and correction and training and righteousness, we reject them and we want to move on. And I know in my life there are times where I rejected the shepherd. And we have to look in the mirror and we have to say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for those days where I reject the shepherd. Help me to follow the shepherd each and every day. And multiple times throughout the gospel we read how Jesus was going to be rejected. He was the cornerstone that was rejected. He was the son of man that was rejected by the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law. He would suffer many things and be rejected by that generation. And we stand so proud in our ways here in the 21st century, so proud in our ways, we're rejecting Him all over again. Why? Hey, we have everything we need. Why do I need a shepherd? Why do I need a Savior? So we have the shepherd that's realized, and then he becomes a shepherd that's rejected. And it gets worse. 
it gets worse because we have the shepherd that's removed. And we jump into these next section of verses from verse 14 on and we start to see the shepherd that's removed. Because here we are in our day of enlightenment. We have science. We have medicine. We have everything that we need. What do we need that old religious fuddy-duddy stuff for? What do we need that God stuff for? And there are people who are living that way through their lives right now. And the terrible part of it is, here's the terrible part. And please understand, this is the terrible part. They're saying, they're saying, you can't have him either. And so while they're going through, we're going through our lives and saying, I want the good shepherd and I want the shepherd realized in my life. We live in a day of enlightenment where the world around us is starting to say very loudly and very clearly, you can't have them either. Oh, you can go to church, but you can't sing. Oh, you can't go to church. You can meet in your parking lot. Oh, we're going to burn your Bibles. And the world is saying very loudly, we want the shepherd removed. We want the shepherd removed. And if we can remove every little voice that comes from the shepherd, then life will be wonderful. Zechariah continues in these verses. When I said verse 14 on, God tells him to take up foolish shepherd equipment. Just then I, you know, take up foolish shepherd equipment. Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Instead of a staff where he could lead them, take up a heavy rod. Take up a metal stick. Beat the sheep. Oppress the sheep. Push the sheep back. The sheep don't want him as a shepherd. And so God is revealing that he becomes the shepherd removed because they don't want him anymore. We have the staff that's here of the staff of union. And that staff becomes broken, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The staff breaking that bond of everything that was left between those countries everything that they liked, everything that they wanted, and God says, I'm breaking it. I'm destroying it. There is no union with God through that temple worship anymore. There is no union with God with your ways and your practices. And he's pointing to them to say, the only union you will have with God is through Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. God's pointing out to them and saying, as long as you want to live to meet your own needs and go your own your own way, then your own destruction will come upon you. And he's going to step aside and allow them to face their own destruction. Basically, he's saying if you want to dance with the devil, then be ready to pay the price to the devil. And in those verses, we read of the destruction that would come to them and the union that would be broken and how the shepherds that were over them would destroy them. And they would not care for the lost. And they would not seek the young. They would not heal the injured. And they would not feed the healthy. But they'll eat the meat and they'll consume the people that are over them. When we have the hand of God that lifts, when we have the hand of God that lifts and the shepherd is removed, the hand of evil comes in. Our job is really to pray against that hand of evil. And pray the hand of God does not lift from our own lives, does not lift from the lives of our family, the lives of our community, the lives of our country, the lives of this world. 
to pray against the evil that keeps trying to remove the hand of God from this world. In Judges, one of the, I think, most fascinating judges that we have in the book of Judges is Samson. And I say fascinating because, one, you know, when you're a little boy growing up and here's this big hero of muscles and strength and, you know, you can look up to something like that. And you have Samson who was God's servant, called by God to lead the people of Israel. And Samson sort of just did things his own way. One day he would follow God and he would be destroying the Philistines. And the next day he was being a womanizer. One day he was being obedient to his parents. And the next day he was going and touching a dead animal that he knew that he should not touch a dead animal. One day he's living for God and again fighting against the Philistines. And the next day he's off taking a foreign wife that he knew he should not do. And he goes through all of these things in his life. And the thing that he never realizes, he keeps getting further and further away from God. And I'm sharing about Samson because we get to the end of Samson's story in Judges 16.20. It's where Delilah has cut off his hair and the Philistines are coming in to get him again. And in Judges 16.20, Delilah calls out, the words say, Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he thought... I'll go out as before, and I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. They're tough words. Judges 16.20. That he did not know that the Lord had left him. We're in a day, we're in a day where people are pushing to say we don't want God. And we have to look at our own lives and say, do I want God? Do I want God? Or am I just going to say, hey, if you remove them, then I can say, well, on Sunday mornings we can go fishing. Because, hey, they don't let us go to church, so now I can go fishing. Hey, on Sunday mornings they don't let us go to church, so I can sleep in till 10 o'clock. It's my one day of the week to sleep in. Since they make me work six days a week now. I want to tell you the future would be remove God, they'll make you work seven days a week. They'll make you work as a slave. Remove God from our society and watch society fall apart. And that's the direction that happens when you remove God. And that's what happened to the Israelites. When Zechariah was prophesying for their future, They removed God from every aspect of their temple worship. It became a ritual for them. It became a practice for them. And then in 70 AD, they watched it burn to the ground. In our own lives, in our own spiritual lives, we need to make sure that we're not living our lives like Samson, where we're showing up on Sunday morning and saying, I want God today, and I want to get my little bit of taste of God today, and that will carry me through. And then just go out and play around and dabble around and chase after everything that we want to chase after, because eventually God's getting removed from our lives, a little bit by little bit by little bit. And we come back and we try to get more of God. And I can tell you, you have a full tank and you're coming in on Sunday morning and you're only getting an eighth of tank of gas, but you're burning a whole lot more during the week and you come back the next week and your tank only gets filled up to a sixteenth. 
And I tell you, you can go away and play again. You come back the next week and try and fill up again, but it's only going to get up to a 30-second. And I keep going. You get up to a point that you only maybe have 128th of a tank of gas. And I tell you, God's getting pulled out, pulled out, pulled out. And I'm saying, leave here on a Sunday after being filled up and fill yourself up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Pour God into your life and don't allow the shepherd to be removed from your life by anything and by anyone. Hang on to God with both hands. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. To keep. To keep. Keep going how God deeply desires. Was Samson a bad guy? No. Samson was not a bad guy. But he allowed the things in his life in his life, women, lead him down a path that he did not did not know that God had left him. We need to make sure in our own lives that we know that God has not left us. And be sure of it Monday through Saturday because Sunday's not always going to cut it. And it would come down I guess sometimes to who you would ask if Samson was a bad guy or not. But he lived like everybody else lived. Everybody else was doing those things. He acted like everybody else acted during his day. And the shepherd ended up being removed. An old course says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So often we want to turn our eyes to other things. We want to turn our eyes and focus on everything. And God's saying, turn your eyes over here. Please turn your eyes over here. Because He wants to be our shepherd realized. And He wants to be the one who leads us. And the one that cares for us. And the one that brings favor into our lives. The one that brings, the one that brings unity into our lives. And the problem is we live in this in day of enlightenment. And I'll, I'll say it right here. That preachers, teachers, political leaders, and the world says, you don't need that kind of a shepherd. And I want to say right now, we do. We desperately do. We need that shepherd each and every day in our lives. So what do we do with all of this? Philippians 2, 12-13. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here, here's the words I want you to hear. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. His good purpose. It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. God is working in us to fulfill His good purpose. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to be careful in our walk with God that we don't reach the places where we reject the shepherd. I should have brought with me a big umbrella today probably could run out in the hallway there are always people leave them behind there's a lot of them in the hallway when we have the shepherd when we have that big umbrella over us the umbrella of Jesus Christ 
the one who is over us. You can walk out into one of those torrential rainstorms and you don't get wet. You don't get wet at all. But you know, if you tilt the umbrella a little bit to the side now and then, and you keep tilting the umbrella to the side, you're going to get a little bit wet. But if you just forget the umbrella, you're going to get soaked. You're going to get washed away. Keep God over you. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Keep your eyes fixed on the shepherd realized and understand that it is His favor, it is His union that is pouring into our lives. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to look. And we have the shepherd realized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. For my sins and for each and every one of our sins. May we find ourselves crying out and saying, Yes, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want your forgiveness, Lord. I want to follow you. I need your favor in my life. I need union with God in my life. Lord, don't break those staffs in our lives. Help us to find ourselves focused on you, but we don't have to even wonder and worry about the shepherds rejected and removed. But you will be our good shepherd. And we will keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of the work of the cross. And I thank you for, again, your resurrection, the hope that it gives us for eternal life with you. May we always be able to hang on to that anchor. Walk knowing that we will rejoice with you one day in heaven. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in us. I thank you again for the words of Zechariah. May you continue to be with us and keep us. May your face shine upon us and give us peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.